We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, guys? Welcome into today's show. We have your comprehensive All-22 breakdown. A lot of information from a wild 39-38 Browns win. So we have plenty to discuss on that side of the break. Before, though, we get to the break, it's myself and Andrew Spade talking through the things that we learned from this game, right? In a weird game with weird outcomes and a whole bunch of randomness involved, I do think it's an important thing to do, probably what we will aim to do every Tuesday into Wednesday as we're reviewing these, getting you your breakdowns, is just taking the things that we think we learned from the game, giving them to you, applying them to the future of the team as they push forward. They're 4-2. and two. No win is a bad win in the NFL where they're tough to come by. I have all the information and more for you from player performance, scouting notes, the data. It's all here. Your latest All-22 comprehensive breakdown from the Browns' victory over the Colts starting right now. What's up, guys? Welcome into your Tuesday podcast, Comprehensive Breakdown All-22. We will get to that. As you know, we open with myself and Andrew Spade going through just some talking points around the game. So always excited to do that. Get with Andrew. Missed last night, but... Uh, you know, we can still catch up and get plenty of thoughts down from this one. Andrew, what's up, man? It's great to be back with you, Jake. Um, it, it's just uh, yesterday was a, a real it was a ringer of a game. I think even by the standards of the games they've played so far this year. Just, you know, I, I mean, totally gut wrenching to the point where it was, uh, you know, I mean, my just to share like my reaction watching it. It was just to be kind of basically wrung out by the time it ended. Like I wasn't even, you know too upset that they were going to lose. And then when they found a way to win in the last second, it was like, Oh, okay. You know, it's just because there was just, there was just too much, you know, it was, it was a total overload. Yeah. You don't see the thing that's funny is you don't see many games that have the, I think it was what, right. The game change score leader in the game eight times. You don't see that in the NFL very often. So, you know, I kind of equated it to Baltimore in 21. And I think the, the chargers game in 21 was also, kind of weird like that I couldn't remember if a game like that happened last year but you're just sort of not built for those in the NFL whereas in college it's a little bit more commonplace 
in the NFL, you just don't see the, the, the score change in that direction that often. You're not used to seeing teams give up big plays. So, you know, as the Browns are creating some on defense, also giving them up on defense, you're right. By the end of the game, I, too, was like, yeah, those flags were great. I, I had accepted they lost, right? Like, you accepted they lost, yes. like, several different times throughout yes. the game, but also kind of thought they could win. It was just the, the, those are weird NFL experiences because they're not very common. So I'm with you, man. That game was, you know, like I said, if they, if they played, like, 17 games that way every year, that would be awful. Like, that is not – I just didn't find it to be that fun of an experience watching from home. Maybe people live enjoyed it, but at home it was just like – you know, in your NFL games, you almost want to accept your fate early, you know, where it's mm-hmm. like we're getting our butt kicked in like the Detroit Baltimore fashion or you're getting a route in, you know, or, or even like you're steadily chasing somebody in a closer fashion. But yep. that back and forth stuff is is really challenging. So what we want to do with this intro is kind of frame it from a what did we learn angle here, right? Kevin Stefanski met with the media today, didn't say much of anything, kept everything very close to the vest and obviously is going to as Andrew eloquently pointed out before we started, he's just not going to expose himself to what happened in the Mayfield saga, which is where he says too much, right? He's going to play the day-to-day game and keep everything close and just keep himself protected in that way. But say that Deshaun, if he's healthy, he's a starter, right? Because that's the thing you're supposed to do. So that's not a surprise. So the, the question is, again, what do we learn? And there's a lot of things here to say we learned something about, right? It's not just Deshaun in, the, in the, his situation, but we'll start with that. So he plays early I don't know the total number of snaps but he had five total attempts and you know I'm learning trying to gather as much as I can Andrew from people that have dealt with this stuff Um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this a little later in the week perhaps even tomorrow um, or maybe even later in this show I don't know I'm going to share a story I think is worth listening to for those of you trying to understand what's going on with Watson but you know when I watch it Andrew the first you know what did I learn I'm going to tell you what I learned you tell me what you learned I watched the first interception happen because he just completely couldn't throw. I, I I just saw he's rolling to his right. He has a corner route that is uncovered. The only player that can make a play on this ball is, is the middle of the field safety yep. as he's rolling to his right. If he throws it up on the sideline, it's a, it's an easy 30 yard gain. He, he doesn't throw like he stops Marquise Goodwin, like Marquise Goodwin has to stop in place to then work backward to go get the football. It's intercepted. So he clearly can't throw on the run or he can't, he can't drive that thing deep downfield. And then the, the second interception out of empty on a third down, he is, he doesn't even see what he's supposed to. He has a guy open on his right side on a speed out. He has an answer on his left side on an under route. And then he could have thrown in Joku up the seam on a bender route. He didn't throw any of those, kind of ducks his head in the pocket, gets out of the pocket, does the thing that I thought I was like, listen, this is the thing that makes me the most nervous about him having a rotator cuff injury is that he can't just get out of the pocket and run, uh, you know, run out of bounds or throw it away. He has to try to do the heroic thing because, and again, that when it's on and great, that's good. But for this situation, he, he opens himself up throwing back to his right and gets hit. And whatever, you know, it could just be something that getting just touched on that shoulder is enough to trigger it. I don't know. Didn't look like a grueling right shoulder hit. Didn't even really see him brace himself very much on the way down. His head almost took the brunt of the blow. But the, he didn't even see the defender, Andrew. He threw that football. There's no way he saw the defender because it was awful. Like, he couldn't he, he couldn't have seen him because he wouldn't yeah. have thrown it. Right. So the, the thing that I learned from this is not only Watson physically – 
beat up. He's 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 mentally not even anywhere near where he needs to be with accepting his limitations and accepting the play style differences that need to happen for him. And that's the most concerning part is that it's not the physical stuff, which is a concern. I, I get taking that away. Like that's not a real thing. It's concerning. The shoulders very physically wrong, but the mental side of it, can you accept limitations? Can you accept the play style changes? And can you process what's going on in front of you taking that much time off? Can you process it? And I don't, it, nothing is encouraging from that exposure for him. Yeah, I think that the mental conversation is the is the pertinent one because the it's not just about adjusting. It is, I mean, it is primarily about him adjusting his play style. It's also about he obviously feels pressure to be back on the field and contributing for this football team based on the contract that they gave him. A lot. I mean, it, he made reference in an interview last week that he you know saw a lot of the social media posts questioning his toughness, that sort of stuff. Like. He's hearing all of this, and it is mm-hmm. affecting the way that he plays the game of football. And I, I don't really think that's under much debate in my mind. Um, so, so you have this sort of confluence of different factors here, where he is physically more limited than he's ever been in his life, probably, and feeling more pressure than he's ever felt in his life to deliver on the promise that came with the trade and the contract. And it's just, it's not a recipe for success right now, and. Given, you know, what we know about the Kevin Stefanski offense, it's really the exact opposite of what Kevin wants out of his quarterback. You know, he he has never wanted a guy that just says, you know, F it, I'm going to go make a play. You know, he he has always wanted a guy that plays within that structure and limits turnovers. I, you know, we, we can talk more about what Stefanski said or didn't say today or yesterday after the game. I think it's pretty clear, given that his shoulder wasn't really involved in that hit that took him out of the game, that Kevin was just looking for a way to get somebody else in there that wouldn't play so recklessly. And and I don't think, again, I mean, that maybe sounds like speculation to some people, but I don't see another way to interpret what happened because he didn't hurt his shoulder further. He wasn't even really evaluated further for a shoulder injury. And he was cleared from the concussion aspect. So he was ready to come back in. And, And Kevin confirmed yesterday that if PJ Walker had gotten hurt, Deshaun Watson was coming back in at quarterback. So that's, I mean, you can use the language however you want. Watson called it a medical decision. It was a coach's decision. He was benched. There's not really, there's not a lot of gray area with that. Yeah, I think people will argue that because they don't want to believe it. And that's fine. Again, they're like, we don't come on this podcast thinking that we have all the answers, right? You guys can have an opinion. That's what makes all of this interesting. I tend to believe what Andrew's saying too. Like he was benched. Yeah, was there a like, we need to protect him, protect him mentally from being any worse? Yeah, there's some of that stuff there. There's no doubt about it. If if Stefanski watched that he couldn't throw that corner out, and he couldn't do some things physically. Like, again, I think the equation, Andrew, of it saying like it's a hamstring, you go out and you play until you really open it up. You don't know if the hamstring is going to fire, if the shoulder is going to fire, et cetera, et cetera. I can believe that. But there's also an element here of I just watched this guy throw an interception last drive. I just watched him throw another horrible interception. Luckily, that one was overturned. So I think that there's an element of like this guy can't eat. It's not that he's like holding on to the football, taking sack. He's directly giving the football away. I yeah. cannot keep watching this in this form or fashion. So there's probably a both sides of that, that, that whole operation, the medical side of it worried about his shoulder because I've watched him throw now a couple series worth of throws and he's making horrible decisions. I would rather have a different answer in their quarterback right now, even if it's PJ Walker, which is scary enough to say in that moment. Right. So it's clear to me, Andrew, they're leaving that open to interpretation. They're not confirming it one way or the other. You guys, again, 
we've been called tin tinfoil hat wears before. I don't even think we're doing that here. I think we're calling it a mixture of both things, but it's clear he's not ready. And what we learned from this, Andrew, is that I don't believe he should be playing right now. And I don't believe he's going to play in Seattle. And I, I have, I, I don't, I don't see how we can feel comfortable with him playing in the immediate future here, because what we were supposed to believe was a guy who was good to go in Indy is not anywhere near the case. So I think the the part I want to throw back to you is we learn the Browns need to solve whatever the quarterback of the immediate future right. is, right? Yeah. Well, and, and I I think you know from a from a big bigger picture medical perspective, and this is where I I will say I am speculating, right? Because this is you know this is the the other stuff I just said is about taking the facts as we know them and sort of trying to make a you know something logical out of everything that we saw yesterday, despite how chaotic it was. This is yeah. more speculation, but I my feeling based on, you know, what we've seen so far from Watson is that he's going to have trouble feeling back totally physically throughout the rest of the season. I don't, I'm not confident that that's going to be possible for him based on how slow the recovery process has been through this now month plus of since this injury was suffered against Tennessee. So if that's the case, then the pressure is really on the Browns front office to find what another alternative is in season. And you have, that's an immense challenge to find a quarterback that can come in and run some version of the Kevin Stefanski offense midseason. That is that is really challenging. I think it, it might be challenging enough that the Browns can't do it. And they ha- are stuck with some combination of P.J. Walker and Dorian Thompson-Robinson for the next 11 weeks. And then maybe at another point down the road, try and get Watson back on the field. Um, but it feels to me like making some sort of a move and I'm not even sitting here and pounding the table for any specific quarterback, but adding a player to that room feels necessary to me at this point. Yeah. The Jacoby Brissett route makes the most sense because it's like, it's like Kareem Hunt in a way you're plugging a guy back in. Now he did go learn a new system in Washington, but I don't think the ramp up period for Jacoby would be awful. And he would elevate the basement of what their operation is right now. I think the question we need to ask Andrew is, did we learn PJ Walker or DTR can handle this role. And I continue to believe no. Now, the run game stuff and what they're doing and how they're putting themselves behind the sticks at times. I think the Browns saw a stat today about third and longs, right? They're like 11 of 57 on any third and long scenario. They're not able to, I mean, you can just, you smell it. Like, I, I can't tell you how many times it's second down, it's maybe second and seven. They run for a zero or they gain a yard, or it's second and five, and they go back three, and I'm sitting there on the couch, and I'm yelling punt team because it's third down, and it's just the thing they do. This back in my day, you always got the punt team ready on third down in case they had to trot on the field. So I'm just like, punt team on the ready. Like, that's what you're doing because they can't convert them. I, I To your point, here's the options. Kirk Cousins, going to have to pay a lot for him. He's going to have to come back, and he's been separated from Kevin for four years. That's you know, there's going to be some callbacks. There's some understanding of an offensive structure, but that's a while to be apart. He is the best quarterback air quotes available. Who knows if Kirk wants to waive his no trade clause to come to Cleveland in the mid season structure. Like maybe tonight happens, they get blown out um, and, and that happens and that's an option. But I think he's the only clear uh, option out there, Andrew, that is like that guy. And again, Kirk has limitations, but that guy's a clear upgrade. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and the other plus here is there's, there's going to be clear and easy communication between the front offices as far as a trade package. You know, they they might even have that part sorted out already, uh, just because of how those two guys operate. Right? They, yeah. they Andrew Barry runs his entire business on trying to understand what 
other players are worth in the trade market. And so that piece, plus it being a former colleague of his in Kwesi Adolfo Mensa as the GM for the Vikings, I think that piece is hammered out. You know there's an existing relationship between Cousins and Stefanski, so there are existing relationships that make that trade as fanciful as it is. And I, I don't think it's going to happen, but the I think you could make the argument that the only team that could pull it off is the Browns because of all of these existing relationships. That this stuff doesn't happen. That doesn't exist with the Jets. He hasn't played with Robert Sala. He doesn't know, you know, there's, there's none of those connections. So I, I just think I've seen some, some pushback today of, you know, Cousins isn't coming to Cleveland. That's way too complicated. I just think because of the relationships involved, that gives yeah. them enough of a bridge communication-wise that they could, if everybody was motivated to do it, they might be able to make it work. But I, I mean, yeah. the other yeah. issue here is with anybody other than a clear backup, how do you handle the Watson angle of it? Yep, that's a spicy question, right? So it's like, you know, if you bring in Kirk, that's another personality. I mean, Kirk is Kirk is a leader. He's he's a, he's a type that people are drawn to, uh, and he's done that everywhere, right? And yeah, if you're going to say the only way that that would happen, Andrews, if there was a mutual decision that you are shutting him down, like Watson, right. there's no exactly. lingering availability that he comes back and they say they're shutting him down for the year. And then you go make that sort of deal. So if he lingers, yeah, that's not going to happen. It's going to it's going to ruffle feathers. And obviously the Browns, you know, whether you want to believe Watson's a limit or not, they still have years of a contract to figure out how they're going to navigate this whole thing. And they haven't even really paid the big cap number yet. So there are relationships that can't just be broken off. So there are elements to that. And again, I think the only way you do that is if it's a year long thing. And to your point, Andrew, it's not impossible. It's not even, it's, it's actually very feasible. The question will be whether they agree on a compensation package, because that's the trickiest part. I think Kirk's owed like 6 million. The Browns would have to pay. That's not horrible. It's a lot, but it's not horrible. But you know, what, are you willing to get a team that's already limited in draft capital as is, what are you willing to give up in order to make that happen? And as we are living currently as proof, Andrew, a guy does not go from one situation and be successful as uh, to another go. situation to be just as successful. That's right. the trickiest part. So you can't presume, Oh cousin, this isn't a video game. His, his, his production in Minnesota does not come over and equal the production in Cleveland. So that's tricky. I again think that the, like the most logical part to your point about the backup starter dynamic is Jacoby. It just is. You know, I don't know what Washington, maybe they're going to press like crazy for something more because they know the Browns kind of pinned up against the wall in terms of what they can do. But he makes the most sense to bring back. First of all, the locker room loved him. The organization loved him. The fans loved him. Right. He makes the most sense to bring back. I think Jacoby sitting there. If they don't do either of those, that's it. You're going with Walker or you're going with DTR. So I don't really believe what I learned is that I don't trust Walker to be the guy over the course of the next 10 games and have expectations that these guys are going to go anywhere meaningful. They're four and two right now, and that's fun. But if Walker is your answer in perpetuity here, you're not you're not going anywhere. You're not you're not even going to flirt with the idea of going anywhere. And that's Mm -hmm. no disrespect to him. It's just obvious where this is going for him. And, you know, the lack of. Uh, a Nick Chubb in the backfield doesn't help anybody in this regard, but there's just, uh, I don't get a good feeling about that. And I can't even try to even lie to you guys in that regard. I think Jacoby raises the basement more to the point that you can flirt with the idea of going somewhere this year. So that's the question, you know, with the end goal is a Super Bowl, your, your expectations are changing now because, you know, you, 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 we've talked about this to, to get there. Watson had to be a certain level and it's pretty clear that, for the immediate future here, he's not going to be that level for a while. So if that's the case, Kirk helps, but we all know Kirk's big games, 
reputation, but he does get you closer to any sort of level of realism with that goal. But again, that's like how many weeks is a ramp up period, whatever, whatever. Right. That's tricky. Um, And Jacoby, you know, better backup lifts the basement a little bit there. But again, we, we know that Jacoby's also clearly got some limitations himself as well. So, more of the story, Andrew, is not a good spot to be in. <laughs> it's not a good spot yeah, to be and, in and right now. Yes, and I, I, I agree with everything you just said, Jake. I know that this is not the conversation that people want to be having, you know, when the Browns are foreign to, uh, you know, they don't get to this sort of a mark that often. And I, you know, I think, I think we can, I mean, I guess what I would say is I agree with everything you said. I think that they are going to have to make some tough decisions. I will be interested to see how this front office proceeds because, I have some preconceived notions about what I think they'll do in terms of trying to just steer through this and get Watson back. If they did make a move, I would be surprised, but I would understand the thinking behind it given where the rest of the roster talent is. I think it's interesting for you and I to talk through it because we're trying to figure out how to solve the problem of the rest of the season. And the reality is is that there, you know, as you just said, there are not any really attractive solutions at this point. So we're, we're talking through them to try and to try and assess them, but there's none of these things that I point to. And I say, I want that. The only thing that I would pick off a shelf is a fantasy now, which is a healthy Deshaun Watson that we saw in the first three quarters of the Tennessee game coming back and, and starting to fire on all cylinders. But I, as you said, I don't see that coming. So to, you to, to the, it. it could, but it's hard to trust. It's, 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 it's yeah. And it, and it feels after what we saw from those throws yesterday, put it this way. If all that was happening was that he was having trouble putting a zip on the ball and there was a few incompletions and then he said, you know what, I can't do this, Kevin, and benched himself, that would be one conversation we would be having today. But the fact that he did not do that and was having trouble throwing it the way he was and was throwing into traffic tells you a different story. And that's the one that we're sitting here with today. So I do want to you know, move on to other things that we did learn from yesterday. And I think, you know, the second person you got to talk about is Miles Garrett. I wish that he could play quarterback because, yeah. you know, you talk about yeah. the Browns had the first overall pick in 2017 and the first overall pick in 2018, and they missed on one and they hit on one. And I love Miles Garrett and the fact that he is a Cleveland Brown for life. What he did yesterday single-handedly won them the game. I have no doubt of that in my mind the number of points that he prevented from them, them from scoring and the points that he created for the Browns. And it's nice that you can, it's nice that you hit on one of those two picks, I guess is the way that I would say it. You wish it was the quarterback. You wish that they had drafted miles Garrett and then Joe Burrow, because right now we would be sizing ourselves for our second or third Super Bowl ring, something like that, man. Like Mm -hmm. it's the way that the cookie crumbles, but that doesn't take away from what miles Garrett did yesterday. And he deserves more credit than we have to give. The fact that there are even people that can walk onto the internet and talk about comparing him with TJ Watt at this point, it's shameless in the extreme. I have never seen anything like it. And those people just aren't, I don't know if they're not watching the game or if they're watching the game with such thick black and yellow sunglasses on that they can't see the field. But either way, it's just, it's what he's doing is in a different stratosphere in terms of the amount of uh, adversity that he's fighting through to make these plays. He was double teamed on that strip sack fumble touchdown play, you know, two different guys had him and he walked past both of them. I think you, you tweeted it. He didn't break his stride. So that level of production 
the the field goal block in and of itself changed the momentum of the game because it went from a, a Colts field goal to a Browns field goal. And and they didn't the offense didn't move the ball. So he basically handed took three points from one team and handed it to the other. There's there are not players doing that in today's game. You you know, you can talk about some of the TJ Watt plays that he makes in terms of scoring points and and he does that from time to time, but he TJ Watt is the best player on a very good defense. Miles Garrett would be the best player in the league on any defense. That's how good he is. I think that's pretty, pretty damn well said. I, I mean, what do we learn? We learned that he is, we learned that he's every bit the defensive player of the year candidate that we think he is right. He's putting together a case and yesterday was a gigantic amount of data evidence. You know, I feel like, and I said this yesterday on the pod, Andrew, like, I feel like there are these plays where miles will make a great play and something just doesn't bounce his direction. Whereas Watt gets, you know, the strip sack happens or a quarterback drops the ball. There've been so many times where miles has wrapped up the quarterback and he doesn't drop the football or he lands on his own fumble or something like that. You know what I mean? It's like, you need some of those plays to catch the attention exactly. of voters. You need to be a part of a good defense to great defense, which currently he is and be able to count, uh, you know, look at a game or two that you completely wrecked changed and you won and I think what we learned here again is he put together uh, a really big piece of the resume for later in the season. So if the Browns can achieve uh, close to playoff level football, which we think they can, if he's a part of a great defense and he stacks a couple games like this in place, he's in a great spot. And, and we were reminded of how special he is and reminded again to not take that for granted because he is, uh, you know, he, he, he can sort of, numb you a little bit to what the greatness is uh you know you, you, you get a look at that greatness so often that you forget how hard that position is yes. so um yeah. worth noting i think the other thing we have to talk about on the way out here is uh, what we learned about the defense mm-hmm. and um you know i think the thing that i take away from it andrew is that i learned that they're not above playing poorly and i think that this is something that they probably needed to be humbled about which is if we don't play assignment sound football we can get beat. If we're not locked in, if we're not 11 on 11 here in terms of like 11 guys on the same page doing their job, they're not so good that a bad offense can't give them fits. Now, I think Shane Steichen is really good. Like, I think that guy was the driving force behind Philly's offense last year, and I think he's going to, whenever he gets Richardson back and healthy next year, they're going to go places. He's good. He had great answers schemed up for the Browns, what they like to do. Um but it doesn't take away from I thought the Browns were out of place too often. And I personally don't think they took Gardner Minshew and the Colts serious enough, which leads to some of the mental lapses. And and for the love of God, man, if you jump offside, just hit the hit the lineman. Stop giving free plays. So confusing. It's driving me nuts. So confusing that so that's confusing. a problem for I mean, I we just, you know, gave all that praise to Miles Garrett. It's incredibly confusing that he he stops like that and looks around. I I'm not sure what he doesn't understand about how that needs to happen. And I don't I don't think it's necessarily true that the secondary quit on those plays, but they were definitely slow reacting on those yeah. plays. That's not yeah, they see a it. controversial they coaching point. No. And it's not. and that's that's I mean, I've I've been going to some high school football down here. They're you know, until you hear a whistle. <laughs> That, yeah. I mean, it's it's fairly common like with miles it's not like this is isolated he jumps right. he always tries to get back i had talked yesterday too about zadarius on the postgame show the zadarius smith jump offside in the first play of the 49ers game he kind of quit the play yes. and gets blocked into the gap jok is supposed to be playing in, and that pops the 27 yard mccaffrey run mm-hmm. if you jump offside nothing good is happening 
So just either run to the quarterback impeded so unimpeded so that they blow it dead or hit the lineman. Just bump them. Just do whatever you have to do to blow the play. Nothing good's coming. But you can make the greatest play in defensive history and it's still giving the offense five yards. Exactly. So just stop those plays. So right. um, but anyway, like I again, what I learned about the defense is they're they're probably not a historic defense, guys. I've kind of been saying that. They're really good. They're probably not historically great. They're really good, but they can be humbled. They can be schemed up, and Schwartz has to answer it. How does he get them back to a little bit? I mean, you can't give up. Again, they they didn't give up all 38 points here, but like they gave up a good number of points here, and they gave up 450 yards. So you have to go back in the lab and figure out how you – you know, I don't think they're going to face a ton of offenses like Steichen the rest of the year, but they at least have to go figure out how they got put into the positions that they were put in. We'll talk about that after the after the break here when we do the comprehensive breakdown. But, you know, they have to understand that they can, on any given Sunday, if they don't show up the way they need to show up, ready, locked in, and play well, this isn't elite-level, you know, even college teams against lower level, where if, say, Oklahoma's playing Sam Houston State and they don't show up, they can still hold them to 10 points. Right. Nah, this is the NFL. You can yeah. get humbled at any given moment, and I think that's the clear lesson here about what we learned is that they weren't locked in, they didn't play well, and they got humbled. Yeah, you know, the, we see this happen in the NFL all the time, that a unit gets off to a hot start and somebody figures out some stuff that gives them trouble. I agree that they're not going to see a lot of other teams that play exactly the way the Colts do, but they are going to see enough smart offensive coaches. Shane Waldron next week is a smart offensive coordinator. We we see what Drew Petzing has been doing in Arizona. I mean, then it's the Ravens. You know, the next dumb offensive coordinator is Matt Canada, right? So, like, yeah, they're, they're even if these teams aren't able to do everything that the Colts were able to do against the Browns, they're able to steal a few things. Whether it's that bunch stuff that was, you know, the Greg Newsom specifically was really struggling with, or whether it's some of the quarterback run game stuff that they didn't seem to have an answer for. I I agree with you, Jake, that, you know, scheme is number one right behind that is coming out a little bit flat, not playing the same sort of swagger based football and expecting it to kind of be handed to them in a way I felt. Mm -hmm. And they got back to that as the game went on. I felt like, you know, they, they heated up Minshew a few times really effectively. I felt like they weren't getting enough pressure early on. I understand thinking you can get pressure with four against their offensive line. It, that should have worked, and I, I, I think that'll be something to look at on the tape too. Is is you know why the pressure wasn't showing up the way that we wanted it to early. They actually but, uh, blitzed more in this game than they've they've blitzed before. Right. They did not do well with just four, right. uh, which was a bit uh, a bit jarring at times. Yeah, because the EPA for Minshew was best when only four guys uh, came after the quarterback. Yeah, c- considering the matchup, you would expect them to be able to win in that way. So. I, th- I like you said, there's plenty for them to work on, and I do think I expect them to be better next week and going forward because I don't think they were as bad as they played yesterday. But I also agree with you that they're not able to just walk out there, set the helmet on the ground, and, and get a win and three turnovers. They have to earn it. They have to keep working, and I think they can. You know, I really think they can. I think it's it's it is supremely ironic that the the defense really let the team down yesterday because if you told me the Browns end up with 39 points, it's like cool. So I'm just watching a different football game by halftime because I don't have to watch the second half of the game. Right. Like, yeah. So the defense did let them down, but also miles Garrett, who is a defensive player, won them the game. So yeah. it does cut both ways a little bit. And I think they will be better than this. And they're going to settle into being around the top of this year's NFL while at the same time, not being a sort of historic 17 game 
uh, performer. So, I, and I can live with that, honestly. You know, oh, that, of course. that will play all day long because it's going to keep them in games. And, and the Garrett component, he can change the tide of a game as we saw. Yep. So, so then the question becomes, and this is why we started talking about Watson and the offense, can you just figure out a way to get this to a league average offense? Because if you can, the ceiling on this team maybe is not as high as the Super Bowl, but it's still definitely a playoff team, a team that can win in the playoffs with this defense and uh, uh, an offense that can at least move the ball efficiently. Yeah, I think you're you're spot on about a lot of that. I, I would say, too, you know, it's jarring. The most jarring part of that game, and I think that we were talking about this in the early portion about the, the eight lead changes, is to have a game where your defense has been really good, but they're also playing poorly, not helping you, hindering you, but also giving you points and opportunity. So it's like it was this this really weird situation. I mean, it was just it was bizarre. It was really bizarre to right. to see like how that game came to a win. Uh, to your point, to have thirty nine points and win thirty nine thirty eight, and it's like, you know, I'd ask the OBR group. This is what we'll close on um, because special teams. What do we learn from that? Dustin Hopkins, great trade that worked out really well so far. Also learned that DPJ has somehow regressed as a punt returner. I don't know what's going on with that. Very and, frustrating. Probably re- regressed as a player yeah. in general here, but um, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. But, you know, I asked the OBR guys, like, when did you have the most, in the last decade, I yep. wanted to open it up back to the 2014 season, when did you have the most fun as a Browns fan? And I think most people are probably forgetting how fun 2014 was until that that Bengals game when they were 7-4 and four and really rolling and it felt like Shanahan was special, right? Um, but I said 2018, the end of 2018, when I thought Baker Mayfield could be like Patrick Mahomes esque, like he is, yep. his rookie season was so promising and it had so many, it was littered with so many great throws and they had mistakes, but right. so many great throws. And, you know, uh, and people answered 2020, which is logical. The back half of 2020 Mayfield was great, but the, the, the largely the excitement you derive as a football fan is when something about your team is dominant and really it's usually when your quarterback is one of those quarterbacks or you think like that's where Colts fans with the Richardson experience were in what I call some of the best fan experience stuff where you see this young player, you can excuse the mistakes, but you can see a world in which this guy becomes that dude. Like he becomes that guy. Like he's got that type of ceiling the same way with like on the flip side of it, where the chargers fans are right now are a little bit, a little bit flummoxed is Justin Herbert, the guy we thought he could be the best in the NFL type competing with Mahomes type. So like that's an element here that's making, even though the Browns win and the defense was a part of this too, we were really proud of the defense, right? So like, you know, the defense is dominating people. It's historic. It's a great part of the story. So to get a win where the quarterback situation is so ugly and confusing and the defense is really hurting you at times more than helping you, even though they created among the most EPA of his defense this week, just because of one guy, we know who miles is right. But the defense wasn't the usual dominant version. That's why people leave a 39, 38 win being like, this just felt weird, mm-hmm. right? It felt weird. So it's a win. It's great. It's awesome. But it does leave you with some lingering bad taste in your mouth about what does this mean for the future? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's hard not to be having those thoughts, but I, I also understand that not everybody's wired that way, right? There are people sure. that, you know, like, are able to reduce it down to we won. That's all I care about. And that's great. I am not, as I said a few weeks ago when we talked about this, I am not here to tell anybody else how to root for the Browns, man. Like, go enjoy. It's a victory Monday. Go enjoy yourself, you know, uh, bask in it all week long. They don't play again until Sunday at 4, so you can ride this all the way through even the early games next Sunday before you, you know, before it, it, it gets stressful again. So 
I'm I'm totally fine with that. As I said before, I think Jake, you and I find it interesting to try and think about how they solve the problem that they're in. Yep. And I think we see it pretty similarly in terms of it being a pretty serious problem. That's interesting to us. And so ultimately we're the guys behind the microphone. So that's the podcast that we end up putting out. But I I totally understand taking it more as and look, they deserve credit. I have been critical of Kevin Stefanski for not finding ways to win games. He found a way to win two games in a row that, you know, there were a long period of the fourth quarter. He thought he wasn't going to get it done. The team wasn't going to get it done. And he, you know, he deserves credit. The team deserves credit. If they can answer these questions, Jake, these sorts of wins can be a springboard and they have bought themselves a little bit of slack because we've, we've been talking about, you know, you'd love to be five and three by the Baltimore game. Well, they just have to win a home game against all against Arizona to be, to have five wins. So, you know, They've got, in a way, they've kind of got a game in hand. It's weird to talk that way, but they they have earned a ton of equity and their record stands up. They are projected right now to be a playoff team. And that's, you know, it the, the problem needs solving because we recognize how good this team can be. That's our point. Yeah, well said. I, 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 everything's still in front of them. When you get to four and two, it creates more avenues to fixing your problems. Two and four fixing your problems is a completely different thing. It's exactly. it's hard. That's why last year's early portions of the season were so frustrating. They're winning some of these. We've seen two straight games the Browns have won that you're probably accustomed, just like Andrew and I are, to them losing. So winning those creates a little bit of wiggle room to either get Watson right or make a deal and ramp up another quarterback and finally get the offense to meet the defense at the point at which they're at, and that's when you become a serious contender. So good opener, Andrew. A lot of things we learned from this game. I think it's probably a great way to frame these on – on your Tuesday morning podcast. And uh, I think we can, again, you know, you get some things you don't want to hear. You get some things you do want to hear. I think you tune in this podcast because you understand who we are and how we operate and try to give you the best, most comprehensive picture of who the Cleveland Browns are. So Andrew, I appreciate you, bud. Always a pleasure, Jake. All right, guys, we're going to shift over to the comprehensive breakdown after a quick word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hype for all the fun you've had. So why would you go game time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view, which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money. Right, It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats, like I said, before you buy them. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds, and they're sent directly to your phone. All right, So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that GameTime app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, let's start things off with the offensive side of the ball on this one. So I wrote up some comments here on the Stats That Matter that was posted just yesterday. The Browns are... Clearly the the worst quarterback situation in the league. 32nd in the league in EPA per drop back. The .32 number, negative .32 number, is significantly more than the negative .21 number that the 31st ranked group of quarterbacks presents. So that's worse by a large margin. They're throwing the ball a good amount still, though. So they rank 12th in the NFL in dropbacks per game, doing the thing they're currently worse at than anyone else. So And again, there are people open. These quarterbacks just can't find a way to get it to them right now. And that creates a larger discussion, one of which I'm very aware. Something that stood out was the mug front or creepers that were walking into the line of scrimmage on third and long situations, creating a bunch of chaos. P.J. Walker has not been able to handle those through two games. If they brought five or more, the Colts did. The Browns were a negative 1.75 EPA per drop back, which is by far the worst they've had as a unit situationally in any game this year outside of when the Ravens played cover zero, brought six rushers several times. They were actually worse than that one with DTR. But there are just answers right in front of Walker's face that he can't get to on these. So that's a problem. But outside of the five rusher stuff, the Browns actually protected pretty well. The 35.9% pressure rate face was the second lowest number they've had this year. Only the Tennessee game was where the quarterback was pressured less. Three-plus second time to throw mark again for the unit as compared to Gardner Minshew's 2.61. Browns quarterbacks are hanging on to the football too long. Only the Bears, Eagles, Broncos are currently holding on to the football longer at the quarterback position. And they're they're actually creating significantly less off of EPA and the scramble side of things. So you traditionally think if you're holding on to the ball longer, there's going to be a scrambling element, right? So if there's a scrambling element, you create plays off of holding the ball longer. Well, the Browns aren't doing anything like those other teams are. And that's why, you know, they're currently 
struggling the way they are from an EPA perspective. The 8.1% turnover-worthy throw number that they've had for the third week in a row is uh, over 8%. For the season, the unit 6.2% leads the NFL by a decent margin. That's that's really driven by DTR, P.J. Walker, and then whatever Deshaun Watson was doing at the start of this game. So we'll start there. Listen, they, I think they had a plan to get Watson going early. Uh, first throw, he missed. Uh, kind of hurried through his read, tried to dump it off to the running back. That was missed underneath, threw it behind him. Had a dig coming open from Jordan Aikens right behind that was open. The ball up the right sideline, a corner route to Marquise Goodwin. If you put it up on the sideline, it's got a great chance to be caught because it's a middle-of-the-field safety trying to come over and undercut it and play it. He underthrows it significantly, although he has all the momentum working in that direction. That gets undercut. Goodwin has to practically stop to try to get to it. And like I said, that's intercepted. And then you have, uh, I think he throws a slant, low th- low thrown slant to DPJ down near the goal line, and then he has a uh, off schedule situation with a with a running back screen. But then there's the throw out of empty, where if you look at the play from empty, if you watch Chalk Talk, which I'll post this week, didn't get a chance to do it tonight. He's got Njoku up the seam. Like there's a decent pocket around him. He panics. He leaves it. Had Njoku up the seam. Had a, had a quick throw to his right side on a stick route from David Bell. Had a square in or an under route from uh, Peoples-Jones on his left side. And tucks it, tries to get out of the pocket, does. Tries to throw back against his body to Elijah Moore, kind of drifting in the middle of the field. Doesn't even see the defender who should have picked it off. And we don't see any more from Watson, right? So the frustrating part of the game was watching whatever they put him out there to do and his inability to do it and then having to you know, reset again with P.J. Walker, right? So the Colts play a ton of zone. They, the Gus Bradley's playing cover three, he's playing cover six. They play more zone than just about any team in the league. They're right up there near the top. And in this game, I think they were like 94% zone, right? The Browns played a bunch of 11 personnel, their typical number, up near the top in that again, um, 77% and 11 personnel, so continuing that trend. The motion trends were high again. Uh, sorry, not as high as I'd like them, but they are using more creative motion. I'll give them credit. The run schemes, pretty much pen-pull was what you got a lot of. Um, some from under center, some from gun. I still think their toss-sweep pen-pull stuff is their best work. The big run by Jerome Ford was off of split zone, which I which I did like that little wrinkle. They ran like a high side reverse fake, uh, and then they ran a split zone uh, uh, underneath of it. So they, they sold high reverse and then had... Uh, DPJ come across and cut the backside edge, ended up getting some confused eyes, ended up being a nice play. Uh, other things that stood out to me, you know, from from just, a, again, just a scheme perspective, they did a nice little flea flicker concept uh, that turned into a screen. I always enjoy that. They pulled that one off. But two things that, again, stand out to me are just doing the simple things, and they're not continually doing the simple things. Like that third and two reverse out flip, that should have been, um, you know, I think it was actually fourth and two to Jerome Ford. That is that is an easy 15-yard gain if you just catch the football. Down near the goal line, they had a great little concept with a shovel flip to David Njoku that if, if, if Walker can just gently toss it to him, it's probably, I mean, Njoku could have backwalked into the end zone. So they're just, what they're doing right now is making things harder than they need to be. And, and another element of things that stood out to me here when breaking down the stats, they are not doing well on second down. They had the second worst EPA on second down runs than any team in the NFL this week. 26 teams played, right? Their teams on bye week. They had the second worst second down run. I counted five times where they had a positive rush, three or more yards 
on first down or pass. And on second down, they went backward five times. It speaks to the boom and bust nature of the offense with the run game right now where they will create some big plays, some 12-yard runs. Even that 69-yard run, they'll create explosive runs here and there, but they are at the top of the NFL in negative zero-yard runs. They can't, they, can't, they can't live that way. With the struggles they have at quarterback, they need an efficient running game, and they can't live that way. Now we know that Jerome Ford is out with a high ankle sprain for a couple weeks. They let go of Deion, Deion Jackson. So now it's Pierre Strong and then maybe one-legged Kareem Hunt. You know, Stefanski said after the game he was on one leg at times. It was a really gutty performance. So, I mean, they're at like one and three-quarters of a running back right now. There's going to have to be some movement in that department this week. But anyway... You know, from a, from a game plan perspective, I thought for the most part they they weren't as physical as I'd hoped they'd be up front. David Njoku did not block the way I'm I'm traditionally used to him run blocking. He just didn't seem to meet the physicality element that makes him unique uh, as a as a tight end in the NFL. Um, but for the most part, I thought they were uh, okay. They didn't have much efficiency. And this one, because outside that 69-yard run, which was a really big run, they kept hurting themselves on second down. I think for the rest of the game, they only ran for like 2.9 yards per carry, maybe less, 2.5, over 32 carries. So it wasn't great, largely because they kept taking losses. They'd take step forward and take losses. P.J. Walker was okay. There's a, there's the, the, the interception he threw could have been a touchdown to Amari Cooper if he leads him up the left sideline, let that ball fall, fall back toward the middle. He still doesn't process things over the middle of the field the way you need him to. There is, again, if you want to see a chalk talk detail of this, it'll be up this week. On that final drive, you know, on second down, he decides to throw a ball up the seam where Shaq Leonard is sitting right underneath it. If DeForest Buckner doesn't block the ball at the line of scrimmage, it's an easy interception and the game is over. It's so weird how the NFL works in that regard. Uh, But that ball gets knocked down. You get a chance. He makes a hell of a throw. I'll give him credit. He makes a hell of a throw up the right sideline. Uh, did a nice job. But, you know, there's just there's just a level of difficulty with him. You know, the thing I'm, I'm surprised about is that he doesn't seem to be as mobile as I thought he was, and they don't seem to be encouraged enough to use his legs. Um, there's no quarterback run element to what he provides. And, and DTR didn't provide much of it either. You would think some of these guys are relatively athletic enough to create some Josh Dobbs like wrinkles but we haven't seen any of that yet which is a bit of a bummer considering using an asset that I think is is important um, uh, for them but I didn't really I can't say I mind the game plan I thought that they had guys open at times I didn't think it was a very good Amari Cooper game a couple balls he should have caught uh, back shoulder ball a slant but they didn't get him enough targets, in my opinion, to keep him kind of in the game in the moment. He drew that nice flag at the end that they needed, which was a very close call um, before the fumble happened. But, you know, Cooper, and like I said, he had a chance. He made a great double move to get up the left sideline for a touchdown there in the early fourth quarter, but the ball was thrown back toward the middle of the field and ultimately intercepted. Uh, otherwise, player performance stuff, we should hit on that on offense. You know, the collective group didn't get a very good grade, which I'm not surprised by that. I think Pro Football Focus had them offensively in the pass game element. This is three straight games with a pass grade below 40 for the unit. 33.5 against the Ravens, 26.4 against the 49ers, and 38.4 in this game. Now, Watson didn't help, so I can't heap that all onto the shoulders of, of Walker. He actually uh, graded out in the pass element of 49.8, while Watson was a 24.6, 23.9 overall. Really rough. Guys at the bottom from, from a 
healthy snap perspective. Amari Cooper, again, I think it's justified. Harrison Bryant, they gave a bad grade to, thought his run blocking was bad, to which I would agree. He did not have a very good day in that regard. Others at the bottom, and this is kind of in the 50s range, David Bell, but he only played three snaps. Goodwin, uh, Goodwin played 18 snaps. Pierre Strong played 23. Those guys are in the high 50s. Uh, you have Jedrick Wills as a 62.1. We'll talk about blocking here in a second. Peoples-Jones, 62.4. Kareem Hunt, 63.8. And then you're kind of climbing into the high 70s, your highest grades. And Joku actually got the highest grade largely because of his pass grade and, and pass blocking grade. 75.4, Jerome Ford, 71.6, driven by his huge run. But they also gave him some positive pass blocking grades. And then Dewan Jones graded out well as a pass blocker, uh, a little uneven in the run blocking side. Uh, Teller and Posich and Batonio kind of in the mid to low 60s where they said Teller struggled in pass protection, which, again, I do agree with that. From the quarterback perspective, Walker had uh, 35 dropbacks, 32 attempts, 15 completions. He had one interception. He had one big-time throw, that ball up the right sideline, two turnover-worthy plays, obviously the fumble, and then um, you know had that, uh, I think that it ended up being the, the, the knockdown uh, screen ball that ended up almost being intercepted by Buckner. So he had two of those. He had three drops that he dealt with on his side. Um, ended up throwing for nine first downs. Uh, Watson had five attempts, one completion, five yards, two turnover-worthy throws in those five attempts. So we don't really need to hash that out all too much. Uh, from the pass directional standpoint, kept clean. Walker was 10 of 24, 125 yards and in an interception, one turnover worthy throw. Under pressure, he was 5 of 8 for 53, a 42.6 passing grade when he was not blitzed, 12 of 25, 152, an interception. But he had his one big time throw when he wasn't blitzed. They actually brought a mug front, but then bailed out of it. Buckner still got a really uh, strong pressure on him. Ended up, um, you know, coming from the left side there. Got a really good pressure on him, but Walker got that ball off right in time. It was a really great throw. When he was blitzed, he was 3 of 7, 26 yards, and a 56 passing grade. His best marks came in the screen development, right? Five, uh, 3 of 5 screens for 33 yards, and I thought Stefanski did a pretty good job with that. Called that little backside tunnel screen, uh, hit that flea flicker screen. I thought they got the ball rolling in that department pretty well. Only 3 of 8, and continually a disappointing Play action number for them this year. 3 of 8, 26 yards play action. Non-play action, 12 of 24, 152. So that is P.J. Walker's day. On the receiving side, your highest receiving grade was Njoku at 78.6. He catches 5 of 8 targets for 54 yards. Continues to be really hard to bring down in the open field. So encouraging there. He had 7 snaps wide, 13 in the slot, 21 in line. Good diversity there. Elijah Moore had 21 in the slot, 17 out wide. That's a good uptick on outside snaps for him. like to see that. Kept him out of the backfield. He had four catches on seven targets, 59, like that. Peoples-Jones, two catches on three targets for 22. He had nine slot snaps himself, 14 out wide, so some diversity to his alignments in this one. And then Amari Cooper had 33 snaps wide, six in the slot. Had a 47.5 grade, catching two of eight targets for 22 yards. Ford, uh, Jerome Ford, had two catches on four targets for 20 yards, so... That's the receiving group. The rushing grades, the best run grade goes to Jerome Ford, 70.9. Kareem, uh, Kareem Hunt has a 64.5. And then Marquise Goodwin on his reverse gets a nice little grade. Pierre Strong was a 61.3. Yards after contact, 16 for Ford, 18 for Hunt, 19 for Pierre Strong. Uh, the only guy to make missed tackles happen was Pierre Strong, who made two happen. Uh, all four guys I've mentioned had a run of 10-plus yards. 
Um, you had a 15-plus breakaway run from Ford. Obviously, we know that. And then the 17-yard run from Marquise Goodwin. Kareem Hunt had three first down runs. You know, it tells you he's 10 carries, 31. He's their short yardage guy, right? So that is uh, abundantly obvious. The best pass blocking grades, and including the best true pass set grade, goes to Dewan Jones, who continues to be stellar in pass protection. He only gives up one hurry for the game. Uh, looks like Jedrick Wills is the second highest pass blocking grade, uh, including being close to being the second highest true pass set grade. He gave up one hit, one hurry. Two total pressures. Postage had a 73.8, didn't give up any hurries. At the bottom here was Batonio coming back from the knee scope. He had a 49.3 in true pass sets where he gave up that pressure to Buckner that almost derailed that throw from Walker to Moore up the right side. And then Wyatt Teller was was pretty rough. Continues to be a, a letdown in pass protection this year. He gave up two hurries and a sack, three pressures, 43.0 in um his pass protection and true pass sets. And then and four opportunities for Pierre Strong. He did not grade well in pass pro. That's an area where, you know, it's hard for him to be on the field often if you can't pass protect, especially in late downs. So something to monitor if he's going to be the lead back moving forward. Run blocking stuff. Um, you know, they keep bringing Nick Harrison at a fullback position, and he's fine. I mean, it just looks kind of goofy, but he's done a nice job with it. Offensive line-wise, Teller gets a 68.7, the highest mark of the group. Postage, 67.5. thought Postage was fine. I thought Teller was decent in run game when they needed him to be kind of an angle-based player. Petonio, 62.5. Down near the bottom, Hudson came in for six snaps. James Hudson, 38.7. Harrison Bryant, 34.2 and 12 pass-blocking reps. Sorry, run-blocking reps. And then Jedrick Wills with a 50.9. I thought Jed... Had some moments, again, where he's picking out the wrong guy to go to on some of these moving blocking concepts. Has to clean that up. Joku gets a 56.6. He was, again, did not meet the physicality standard that I'm used to seeing from him. Hopefully hopefully that gets rectified. Everyone was really much better in zone than, than gap. The only guy to strongly grade in gap. I mean, everybody was pretty bad in gap concepts. Power counter, most of those. Teller was the only one to grade above 70 that played a decent number of snaps. You get an 81.2. So much better zone blocking in this game than some of the uh, traditional gap concept stuff that we see them run. They're best in pin pull right now. Uh, under center toss sweep pin pulls where they're best kind of taking a slot guy and pinning that edge and then looping the tackle around. Done a nice job with that. They had some effective uh, front side guard center pulls, uh, pin pull stuff there that worked pretty well. And this one, especially late, they hit a 13 yard run with it, but Again, the run efficiency is broke. It's quite clearly broke. They have to get better at moving it forward and then and then like get again getting it to second and six and then either losing yards or having a, a zero yard run. It's crippling them for staying on track and staying away from third downs. They need to stay away from third downs. They're not they're not good at them. All right, switching to defense. Huge zone game. Huge zone game. The Browns have not played as much zone uh, as this other than Baltimore, and they got bit by it, right? Steichen's great. Like, I really think he's got the he's got the offense that I would love to run. He's got RPOs. He's got under center wide zone. He's got uh, quarterback reads on, on uh, you know, pull and, and, and run opportunities for even Gardner Minshew, man. I know this offense is developed for guys like Jalen Hurts and Anthony Richardson, but he wasn't afraid to use any and all of it. And they were so diverse. They get under center and they ran like tight end leak off of wide zone action. They're doing unique bunch alignments and motions and 
man beaters, and they had the Browns schemed up. They did a great job putting a game plan together that stressed where the Browns had been playing recently. Now, I think the game plan for Cleveland was to play more zone. I think the zone stuff got tricky for them and some of the RPO concepts that uh, you know that are pretty unique to Philly and Indy, kind of the, the, the tree of guys who are doing those things right now. And I think they got a little more man-heavy in the second half in an effort to battle against you know, the 11 personnel heavy spacing concepts that you see from Indy, and they got some mixed results. I think they're they're clearly a more consistent man team than they are a zone team right now. You know, the, the busted coverage, they're, they're, they allowed six plays of 20-plus yards in the air, one of which was a busted coverage in cover three where I talked about it yesterday, and I, I just talked about it with Andrew before. You, you got to just blow the play up if you jump offside. That's killing them. So that's a blown cover three. There's another opportunity, um, you know, off of a bootleg where, you know, I think it's Josh Downs is pushing that sort of C route or clown route to the corner and then ends up drifting back inside because Ward is kind of sitting on the direction the route is going and Minshew throws across his body. It gets to him. There's another great little concept against man where they take both of the two inside bunch aligned wide receivers and run them shallow and then turned Josh Downs back opposite. And that put that put Craig Newsom in a blender for trying to cover that. Created a wide open schemed up play for the quarterback. And you know, Minshew hurt him on the run stuff. That 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 was really discouraging too, where they had, you know, to work through their exchanges on that read flat wheel stuff and got caught in space overthinking and allowed Minshew to make plays that he has no business making. But I watched that in the offense and I'm like that's the offense I think the Browns should have been running. And that's kind of what drives me crazy is when you watch that, it it actually hurts my stomach to think that's the exact offense the Browns should be running with Watson, and they're not doing it. And uh, it's tough to watch that. So they ended up blitzing 12 times, actually 13 times. Minshew was tw- 7 of 12 against the blitz, 76 yards. When he wasn't blitzed, he was 8 of 11 for 229 and two touchdowns. This was the least effective the Browns have been collectively when they have been um you know in just four down rushing situations which is a bit jarring because that's not what I think anybody would expect right I have some stats from this one uh Minshew was able to create 0.24 EPA per drop back which was right around the same number Lamar Jackson put on the Browns in week four it was the least productive game for the Browns when rushing forward at the quarterback because they allowed .76 EPA per drop back, and largely because the Colts had answers before the pressure arrived. The ball got out. Decisive. And I thought the Browns were pretty lax with their approach to pass rush lanes. I know in Jim Schwartz's system, they're able to you know, be more free in their pass rush approach and style to get home. He lets his D-line play free, but they allowed Minshew to get out of the pocket comfortably get out of the pocket laterally too much and his scramble stuff was really strong in this game they allowed Minshew to create 9.7 yards per scramble uh, when when he got out of the pocket either with his legs or throwing so that obviously stood out to me and the Browns blitzed a ton like I said it was their highest blitz rate of the season so they wanted to put pressure on Minshew and, and again that's that was effective when they got to him and pressured him he was under pressure on 13 dropbacks Minshew was five of nine he had 134 yards and a touchdown and four turnover-worthy plays, right? That's what's jarring. They didn't grade Minshew with any big-time throws. He had five 
turnover-worthy plays. Obviously, fumbles are included, but when they got under pressure, uh, put that pressure on him, that was the, they had four sacks, created two fumbles off of those sacks. Actually, I'm sorry, three fumbles, because if you got to include the last fumble that they created in the very final 15 seconds. And it, again, this is the secret to, to Gardner Minshew, is if you put pressure on him, he's not very good. And you know, when he was kept clean, he was 10 of 14, 171 yards, a touchdown. Now, the interception was a great play by Denzel Ward, kind of baiting him. But otherwise, Minshew was, was pretty pretty clean. The not blitz stuff, when he wasn't blitzed, he was 8 of 11 on 18 dropbacks, 229 yards, two touchdowns, two big scrambles. That's when he killed him. And that's sort of been the formula. I think you would all agree with me is that the Browns have been able to generate chaos while bringing four. And the timing at which... Minshew was able to either get out of the pocket or get rid of the football quickly against four blitzers uh, was a bit problematic, to say the least. Play action was 5 of 8 for 136, a touchdown and interception. No play action for Minshew, 10 of 15, um, 169 and a touchdown. And then uh, they only had 3 of 5 screens for 20 yards. So 285 yards, 12 of 18 came on non-screen plays. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Minshew put up a really productive game against them. And the running game was a problem, too. I mean, they only allowed 4.2 yards per carry, which was pretty strong. But the problem was the volume because they were efficient. The Colts were an efficient 4.2 yards per carry. Like, that's that's what I'm talking about. There's a difference between the Browns' number and the Colts' number because it wasn't generated by one chunk play. It was efficient usage of the run game to create advantageous down and distances. So the one yard, this is the difference. They had a, a one-yard before contact number. That's the second highest number they've allowed this year behind the Ravens in week four when they allowed 1.09 yards before contact, which means the Browns were not resetting the line of scrimmage like we've seen them do against Tennessee, against the Bengals, against the 49ers. Those games we've seen recently, they were not doing that. The the, the runners were crossing the line of scrimmage more often than not before contact was made. The 14 runs of five-plus yards were the single most that they've allowed all season. So that's a bit of a concern. These teams who can do lateral stretches create mismatches at the point of attack. Indy ran inside zone really well at them. It's a problem. Browns run a historic pace on third downs. 46.7% of the third down attempts were converted. The Browns had been averaging only 23.1% across all games this season in third down conversions. So that 46.7, 7 of 15 was the most a team has been able to find. And again, the 4.38 scramble EPA created by Minshew uh, was the most the Browns have allowed this year, even against Lamar Jackson. The way the Browns saved themselves, though, was the negative 12.92 sack EPA, which, again, that means the offense is losing 12.92 points on the on sacks in this game alone because of strip sacks and the fumble touchdown Miles Garrett created in the end zone. So that's the most that, that I think any team has put together this year, or at least up there. I, th- I think it's up there. I, I can't say that for sure. I know it's the most for the Browns, and it's up there with some of the you know the more crazy games. Think of what Pittsburgh did to Cleveland back in Week 2. Obviously, the Browns' turnover stuff was fantastic. They gained 17.40 EPA off all turnovers in this game, which was the best of any defense in Week 7. So that's how you win this game. Miles Garrett creates the chaos on his own, essentially, right? I mean, Ward had a great play to create an interception, but... Miles created specifically 13 to 17 points on his own based on the plays that he was able to make. The Browns are up to negative six in the turnover department this year, so plenty of room to keep improving. This is the first game that they have been on the positive side of the turnover spectrum. So, again, 
some good, creating big plays on defense, but some bad, giving up big plays, giving up a run game efficiency uh, metric to the Colts that we haven't seen before, right? So, you know, I, again, I, there's something about what Indy did. There's something about what the what the Ravens did that was slowing down the Browns from being able to reset the line of scrimmage the way that they want to, right? I think that that's certainly something you have to consider. And when I think you, you, what kind of stood out to me when I was watching the run stuff from Indy is that they were a gap team and an upticking gap to compared to what they were expecting. So they actually split the middle here, gap to zone runs, and encouraged upfield movement from the Browns, right? Encouraged those guys to get upfield to trap them or do some power counter stuff and, and kick a guy out. I thought they did a nice job with that. They were pretty diverse in the run game on that side and had the Browns guessing several times. So, um, yeah, let's talk about player performance individually. Browns defense, Miles Garrett, 94.2, 95.5, pass rush. Five total pressures, two sacks, three hurries, six total tackles, eight, a whopping eight stop tackles, two forced fumbles, obviously creating one uh, that directly led to a touchdown. Just a really epic in that field goal block. One of the best Miles Garrett performances you'll ever see, even though he's, he's got to cut down the jumping offside stuff, man. And that's what happens. I, I said this on the postgame show. You know, when you're on the road and it's quiet when the opposing offense is out there, they can dictate the the you know the the situation with the, the with the snap count right you can get a, you can get a live color you know if this series we go out you got to hear like green 80 if you hear green that means we're live if you hear red you know if they say red 8 red 8 it's dead that means nobody's going on this it's a live color system and sometimes those hard counts will get you it's a little harder when you're on the road because the quarterback can manipulate the voice the cadence and it's just more challenging when you're at home and the crowd's loud most of the time those teams are going on soft counts, right? Like it's it's dead or silent or it's a it's a foot lift or whatever. You don't get manipulated by that as much. You can see the quarterback lifting his foot, right? The only thing they can do to you is just uh, say it's the second foot lift instead of the first or whatever. With voice added to it, it's trickier. But again, those mistakes are going to happen. I watched the same thing happen to Pittsburgh. Guys lined up in the neutral zone. Guys like Watt jumping offside. It happens. Bosa does it. They all do it. These guys are who are burners off the edge jump offside. But stop giving up on the play. Like, just stop doing that. It's nothing positive comes from it. It's the only thing that I can say about Miles Garrett. That he's got to cut down on that. So, just there you go. Dalvin Tomlinson, 78.7. I thought he was really good in 41 snaps. Thornhill is 71.9. I think his job is a little bit out of the center of chaos sometimes at deep free safety. Uh, where in this game he aligned uh, at deep free safety single high 49 times. Probably a little fewer with some of the split safety looks, but... I thought he's doing a nice job back there, even though the one time he has to get Gardner Minshew to the ground on that second touchdown run. Ward is 66.1. Alex Wright is your next highest, followed by Shelby Harris. And then Zadarius Smith grades it at 58. There's a lot of guys down near the bottom. I thought this was a really, really rough Greg Newsome game. Uh, he gave up 115 yards, including that long touchdown to uh, Michael Pittman, where he, he not only gave up inside leverage too quick, he also gave up a... Missed tackle. He had two on the day to match Grant Delpit's two missed tackles that result in uh, a really bad grade. His coverage grade was a 33.6. His tackle grade at 22.1. I thought that was justified. It was not a very good game from him. Mo Hurst gets a 47.5. I watched the game. I didn't think he was that bad. I think he could do a little bit better re-anchoring on some run concepts, but, you know, not awful. Rodney McLeod, 52.1. Anthony Walker, 52.1. Emerson, and the, these are all low 50 grades, which are just, you know, not 
awful games, but just a little bit below average. So, again, scheme stuff really hurt them. There had some things thrown at them I don't think they were expecting. Miles Garrett has an 87.7 run defense grade to kind of continue where I think he had one of his best games ever. Six tackles in the run game, six stops, led the team by far. Nobody had more than three. Anthony Walker had three at the bottom. Grant Delp, but again, I didn't think Delp was very good in run defense. I thought his fits were a little, just a little off. Either you know, a gap over or not in the right place when he needs to be in the right place, or getting you know kind of pushed out of the way. Not his best game. He's the worst graded run defender. And again, two missed tackles will do that to you. Uh, Anthony Walker had uh, three stop tackles, and uh, he's down there with Jordan Elliott and Greg Newsom. I, I thought Jordan Elliott was fine. Um, but, and he even made a couple, you know, blow up plays. He had a great couple, couple great efforts, had a sack and a tackle for lost, uh, and kind of in the middle run grade wise, Thornhill 72.0 Tomlinson, 73.8 Ward, 75.5 JOK gets a 76.1, including a stop tackle. But I didn't think this was a very good JOK game. If I'm being honest, this is just run defense. Uh, but I didn't think it was the best effort he's put on the field this year. So again, some of these grades, you're not always going to agree with all of them. Garrett gets a 95.5 in pass rush. We talked about some of the metrics he put together. True pass sets, he was special in those, including a sack, four total pressures. Jordan Elliott, 71.1. Pass rush grade, I think that adds up. Had two total pressures, a sack, a hurry. Did a nice job. Grant Delpit uh, has three pass rush reps, gets one pressure, so he gets a nice grade. Dalvin Tomlinson, 23 reps. He had three pressures. He was as advertised in terms of creating some pressure in this one, so kudos to him. At the bottom, uh, Okoronkwo gets a 55.5, and again, that's just kind of an average game, kind of an average to below average game. He did create a pressure in this one. Uh, Zadarius Smith had three pressures, a 62.2, so those are your primary pass rushers in this game. There really wasn't anything created from some of the uh, others. Maurice Hurst didn't have a pressure in this one. Uh, I'm trying to think of other guys who rotated in. Alex Wright didn't have a pressure, uh, but those guys were fine. I didn't think that they were a part of the big issue. Again, just at times leaking allowing giving up the edge I think it's just dangerous when you allow some again you just have to be cognizant of it as you're doing some of these things where if you you know you spin back inside or you're doing a twist stunt and you don't get back out it just is uh it's a little tricky and you can give up quarterback scramble and the ability to get a clear line of sight outside of the pocket so something that they have to be and I'm sure they are cognizant of in coverage not many great grades the the the, the top of the mark is a 66-4 from from Delpit who gave up one catch on three targets Delpit gets a 64.2, also being credited with one catch on two targets for negative six. He blew up a screenplay, a tight end screen. Uh, Denzel Ward gives up two receptions on three targets, but does give up 79 yards. But the interception and all of that does help. He was responsible for giving up one touchdown reception. So that's another element. And there was another one um, that Rodney McLeod would have given up a touchdown, but Michael Pittman dropped the ball just slightly behind him on a mesh concept. He got caught running too shallow on. I tried to undercut it and it wouldn't. He, he he didn't make it, but luckily the ball wasn't caught. But Ward was credited with giving up that cover three touchdown to Josh Downs first part of the game where he jumps inside and takes a curl and nobody's there in the back half to carry. Now you could say that that's supposed to be carried, you know, by by the curl flat defender, Delpit. Uh, it's just an interpretation thing. I'm not sure how the Browns are analyzing that, but that falls on Ward in this one according to their metrics. On the bottom side of coverage, which is, is the is the problem here, is Greg Newsom, 33.6, gives up three catches, 115, and a touchdown. JOK, I, I did not think he was very clean in coverage. He gave up a third down 
mesh concept where the, the, the flat runner, the drag runner, goes right across his face, doesn't see him, two catches, 27 yards, and I thought he wasn't in a good position all day. Tony Fields doing the middle hook stuff there and then the low hole sitter was was way too close to the line of scrimmage when he was on the field. He had 11 reps. He was 2 of 2 for 26 yards he allowed. That's a 42.3. And then Martin Emerson obviously gave up the, the big chunk throw, 32 yards to Alec Pierce up the left sideline and then got caught on another RPO slant where he wasn't really in position to make a play. So 47.7 from him. The coverage grades were not good because they gave up over 300 yards passing. So, you know, got to take that for what it is and get better. Hopefully they can get better. And again, they got to get better at zone. They can't live in man coverage all the time. Have to get better at zone. Uh, special teams grades, you know, Miles makes a freaky, <laughs> crazy, unbelievable down in a four-point stance, broad jump, just base jump over top of the the uh, interior and block a kick. He gets a 93.3. He was on the field for eight field goal block reps. Maybe that's going to be a more normal thing for him. Denzel Ward gets a 91.3, also on field goal block. So, you know, those two get the big plays because the grading boost to blocking the kick and scooping up the fumble, right? Matt Adams, a 78, uh, 78.4. Core special teams guy, 76.2 for Mike Ford. The Browns had their best special teams mark overall, period, largely driven by really strong 88.1 kicking grade from Dustin Hopkins, who will probably be special teams player of the week again, and then a 68.9 punting grade from Bohorquez, So I thought Bohorquez punted it pretty dang well the only grade that they have here is poor and specials is tony fields on the on the on the 21 snaps he had because he had a penalty i'm sure largely dings him a little bit they have DeAnthony bell down as a missed tackle they don't have any other missed tackles the only other two tackles that were made in coverage were Mahmoud diabate made one and rodney mcleod made another i just thought the specials were good did what they were supposed to do dpj punt return stuff a little disappointing not as decisive not as bursty as i thought he was at times last year so, bit of a bummer there. Maybe they need to consider a change uh, and just con- kind of continues the trend that Donovan is on this year, which is not very encouraging to start the year. So, listen, that's a wrap. This is a long podcast. A lot of information here. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Um, check out the OBR. We'll have a ton of content up you know, for your consumption. We'll have plenty of information on what your team is doing, why they're doing it, how they're doing it, and where they go from here. It's a win, an ugly win, but wins in the NFL – Hard to come by, so you appreciate them when you have them. Thanks for stopping by for the All-22 Comprehensive Breakdown, and thanks to Andrew Spade for stopping by to chat at the beginning. Appreciate you guys being here. Have a fantastic Wednesday, and as I always say, go Browns. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.